What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of Trending Thoughts. I'm your host, Tori Smith. It's been a little break. As y'all know, uh, it's a lot going on in the world right now, so I apologize for missing a couple of weeks, but I had to get my mind right. There's a lot more going on in this world right now than this podcast, and it's only appropriate that we bring it back. You know, my brother Aaron Maven, a Baltimore native, former NFL vet, an artist and also an activist to talk about what's going on in this world and what we can do. What's going on, bro? How you been? Not too much, good brother. Thank you for having me, man. It's yeah. long overdue. Yeah, man. I'm saying that like we didn't just see each other at the protest. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's all good, man. It's all good. I appreciate, always, man, everything always. that you do in the city for sure. Likewise, bro. Man, you already man. know that goes without saying. Well, what's what's new in the world, of Aaron Maven, man? School's for out. Sure. Yeah, school is <laughs> out. You know, uh, we're finishing up virtually right now. So um, obviously, there's a whole lot that goes into that, you know, making sure that our kids are finishing uh, strong, making sure that all of them have the resources necessary to do so, which um, during this time of quarantine and social distancing is a little bit harder than most people would think about. And really, we don't know what school is going to look like when we start next year as well. So um, a lot of us educators are in the midst of planning, making contingency plans because um we don't really know which way the, the school system is going to go as far as like opening up, like what that's going to look like. Or is it going to start off virtually? Will we be in the school building? Um, when you look at the uh, the CDC uh, recommendations, pretty much all of those res- recommendations are not feasible in Baltimore in a lot of our schools. So what does it look like to open up in a way that allows our kids to still be safe, you know, um, yeah. and isn't going to... Um, be to the detriment of their actual educational process like and as an artist as an author as an entrepreneur you know um we've seen a big shift in how a lot of us have to operate on that front as well so um i've been switching to doing a lot more um virtual and digital interactions with people finding spaces to still use the arts and literacy but to do it in a space that is um is more tailored for people to be able to do online so that whole process has just been it's been a learning process it's been a curve to it um and of course you know even in spite of this epidemic you know still we have to you know make our voices heard in the streets and we have to march and we have to protest and we have to you know raise hell uh to our policymakers because people that look like us are still being executed in cold blood in the streets with no accountability you know so it's a crazy time to be an american it's a crazy time to be a black man it's a crazy time to be somebody in baltimore so we're all i feel like just trying to make sense of everything well, man, you just hit me with a lot. Yeah, that's a lot to unpack in a in a norm in what is a normal day for you, right? You know, that's right. something that I'm able to see up close. And if they follow you on Instagram, uh, they would see that firsthand. You Absolutely. know, you're really in these schools. Um, even beyond that, you really live in these neighborhoods. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's something. When I say that, I'm in the trenches. I mean, for real. <laughs> like we not yeah. playing around about it. You know, oftentimes when people are successful. You know, you move and you look to move into a better neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I tell people all the time, you are the only person that I've ever met that made it, yeah. was successful, and went back to the neighborhood in the city that he grew up in. And I applaud you for that because I see it firsthand and you're I teaching. I appreciate it, bro. You know, so everyone wants to say they're an activist. I think you're really in a league of your own. Yeah, man. I mean, and it's not a – I wasn't even trying to do it, you know, to make a point or, to, you know, for it to be a competition or anything like that. 
I just look at it really simply like this. Growing up, too many people, in my opinion, used to equate success with getting a good job, getting money, getting resources, getting opportunity. And then, as you said, moving out of your hood, moving to someplace safer, moving to someplace that has more people that are in a certain tax bracket. But I've never been in agreement with that. The way I look at it is if all of those people leave, who are we depending on to fix our hood? Mm. Who are we uh, depending on to improve our community? And yeah, you can be outside of the community and still help. But let's be clear, it's not the same thing. Absolutely not. You know what I mean? If you don't live in the city, you don't pay property taxes there. You know, you don't do your shopping there. You don't interact with the people in your neighborhoods on a day-to-day basis. They aren't seeing you and feeling like they have proximity to you where they can come and knock on your door or call you on the phone if there's an issue and you're actually there and available for them. So um, I think I just have a little bit more radical of a perspective of like what it really means to be a part of the changes in the communities that we want to see than most. But I also do want to be a part of um, changing that narrative of like making kids start to see that look, I can I can go off and I can become a success and come back and help to fix my community too. You know, rather than us waiting for somebody to come into our hometowns and fix them, like we really should be dependent on us because we're the ones that were not just raised in these places, but that have a context for how we how we change them for for the better. Yeah, well, Uncle Elroy said, <laughs> as soon as he got his check, he was gone. Exactly, you know, exactly. David got his check, and you know he did what he said he was going to do, which Absolutely. is something that I applaud. And let's go back for a second. You talked about you know what's going on today, George Floyd. Mm. Something that I know how I felt, you know, when I saw it and when I witnessed it. Have you and your kids have had conversation about it yet? You know what, man? I've talked about these conversations before, and I tried to push it back because TJ is only six. Mm-hmm. But every time you cut on that TV, it shows you what the trending topic is. Right. And George Floyd is the trending topic. Right. And he has to know what's going on. Now, you tone it down mm-hmm. a little bit, but he's aware that a man lost his life um, because of a racist officer. Mm-hmm. He was murdered. I'm not going to show him the video. Mm-hmm. but he's fully aware of that and it's a conversation that we have to have I actually talked about it last week um, or the last not last week my last episode of my podcast mm-hmm. with Anquan Bolden about the talk that we have and I'm also interested in hearing how that conversation went for you because for me it was I tried to keep it as simple as possible Yeah. and TJ sure is a kid that's going to ask a million and one questions but I had to keep it simple for him right now. How do you address it with your boys? I didn't take I didn't take that approach with it, man. Um, mine was a little bit rougher. How old is he? My son. So I actually had the conversation with all three of my uh, youngest kids. Like me, me and my oldest have talked about it, but not as as specifically as the rest of her siblings and me did. Um, so like you, I kind of I don't want to bombard my kids with um, all of these examples and stories of their blackness being caused for their humanity to be sacrificed. But we don't have the luxury of just overlooking or ignoring these realities that we're raising mm-hmm. our children in. Um, and I tell people all the time I'm not raising victims. I'm not raising my kids to be anybody's victim. 
in order for me to really believe that I have to be arming them and equipping them the with knowledge. the knowledge and information that they need to know in order to survive wearing black skin. That's just the reality. Um, but I, I wasn't planning on having some big, long, drawn out discussion. It just so happened that um, my kids were poking at me one day. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, during this time, it's been really amazing, actually, the shutdown for my family specifically, because for the first time since my kids have been born, they're not sharing me with the world. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not having to go into the school building every day. I'm not speaking here. I'm not selling books here. I'm not, mm. you know what I mean? Uh, doing an art exhibit over here. Every day is just me and them all day, you know? Um, but even when you're working from home, I'm having to do a lot of video conferences. I'm having to do a lot of Zoom calls. I'm having mm -hmm. to do a lot of, and just the nature of the work that I do, the social justice work that I do, a lot of it centers around some issue involving law enforcement, you know? So um, they hear me talking about police interactions with people. They hear me talking about systemic racism. They hear me talking about these things. And sometimes when they feel like they're not getting the attention that they want, they'll find reasons and ways to poke at me. So on this particular day, my kids are, and they're playing. You know what I mean? They're playing. It's all in good fun to them. But they start joking about calling the police on me. You know, um, and I didn't expect to react the way I did, but I had a really visceral reaction to it because really I was hurt for several reasons. You know what I mean? Um, so I got angry and the first thing that I did was I asked them to go in the other room and sit down because I had to get my thoughts together and figure out like, how do I want to approach this conversation? Like, what do I want to say? Like, how much is too much? How much isn't enough? You know, so I sat and I wrestled with it myself for a few minutes. Huh. And when I finally uh, got my mind wrapped around it, I went in um, to the room and I sat them all down and I talked to them about why my feelings were hurt. You know what I mean? I talked to them about my not understanding why they would think it would ever be funny to joke around with their father about calling the police on their father mm. for one what do I ever do to you to put you in danger or in harm's way I protect you I provide for you I do all of these things so why would you call the police on a person like that and then on top of that what happens if they look at the situation and they feel like I did something wrong and they were to take you away from me how would you feel if that were to happen mm. and they were start they were understanding me but their thing was all right dad i shouldn't have said this shouldn't have said this and then i say do you know why playing around like this is dangerous and i started to talk to them about the people that are were in the news recently for calling the police on black people that that haven't done anything wrong you know what i mean and um then i talked about what was happening with george floyd you know um and i showed them the video Wow. And I made them I made them sit there and I made them watch every minute of it. And it was it was hard because within a minute of me turning the video on, all of them were in tears. You know, and seeing my son come to the realization that, you know, he defecated upon himself and, you know, he didn't have control of his of his bladder and seeing the the lack of humanity by the police officers that 
you know, allowed it to happen by the cop that had his boot on his neck um, that entire time. And I talked to them about the reality of how scary it is to be raising kids in a world where I don't I can't look them in the eye and promise them that I can keep them safe. Where I don't know for a fact that when you leave my house that you're going to be protected at all times, even when police officers are around and especially when police officers are around in certain instances. It was hard, man. Like I got emotional myself. I started I started to lose it. You know, they were they finally understood exactly why I was so hurt by them even playing around like that, because there's that's nothing to play about. You know, people are losing their lives over that exact instance and scenario. So um, it's tough, man. It's really tough as a parent. Um, I know me and you have even talked about it in certain instances before this one Mm -hmm. where like how much do we even expose our kids to because it's traumatic and you don't want to traumatize your kids, you know, too early over something that, you know, is going to be something that they have to be aware of for the rest of their life. But again, we have to allow them to understand the world that they're living in and what they have to be wary of and what they have to be um, prepared for. Have you ever had a situation with you where an officer has drawn a weapon on you? Oh, yeah. Two times. The scariest time was, um, I think about four years back, maybe. It was when I was living in Canton and I was on my way uh, back to my home. I forget where I was coming from at the time, but um, we were passing by uh, Patterson Park. And as we're passing, we're, we ended up just being on the wrong side of Patterson Park and getting pulled over. And I had, you know, me and my cousin were in my car. I had an Escalade, you know, tenant windows, you know what I mean? Looking like somebody that was my age, you know what I mean? Like, um, so they all pull up and you can tell by just the energy that they gave as soon as they got out the car, they were convinced that we didn't belong in that car in that part of town, you know, um, so they start asking us questions that have nothing to do with why we're being pulled over. Before you know it, when we go to 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 get our identification, all of a sudden they start raising their voices and we look up and there's guns in our faces. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. None of us did anything threatening. They asked to see some form of identification. You know what I mean? We were complying with that request. I didn't feel like I had moved fast. I didn't feel like I had, you know, made any kind of threatening gesture toward the cop. And the next thing you knew, you know, we were sitting on the curb and my car is being illegally searched. Now, do I know that they had no right to search my car? Yeah, but when you just had a gun put in, pointed in your face, you kind of just say, all right, do whatever you feel like you need to do. You know, um, but that's not even... To me, that's not even a, a, a wild story when I contrast that with the experiences that my friends have had, you know, the people that I grew up with, when I contrast that with things that I've actually seen with my own two eyes that didn't involve me. I've seen the cops jump out on countless people and act them and, and treat them, you know, inhumanely. But it's very rare that they're ever held accountable for that. It's just, it kind of seems like it's a part of it's a part of what you have to deal with if you're black living in certain areas. 
It's a traumatizing experience, man. Like it's like you remember where you were. Yeah. You know what car I can tell you the exact spot. Like the exact spot on the side on that street. I can tell you exactly where we were sitting. I can tell you exactly where my car was. I can tell you exactly what the officer's breath smelled like. You know, like I can. You never forget it. Like it, it is a traumatic experience. Yeah, man. It's something that. You know, I hope one day with all the work that you're doing and um, everyone in the city, you know, myself and really everyone, you know, this is an issue where I feel like I feel like we're finally breaking down the walls where, you know, people are starting to realize it isn't just a black issue. Yeah. I <laughs> like, hope so. Yo, do, I, you, do you ever feel like do you ever feel like like you hope that, yeah, we're finally at this point where people get it? It's hard for me to it's hard for me to still be hopeful though. Because it's like every single time I think, all right, well this time nobody that watches this video can look at this and see anything, <laughs> anything except for wrong. murder. <laughs> right. Right? But I said the same thing when Eric Garner was killed. Mm. I said the same thing, you know, uh uh when um Amadou Diallo was killed. I said the same thing when Philando Castile was killed. Like every single time I keep on saying like, yo, maybe this time everybody will get it. Maybe this time white people will start to understand what we're dealing with. Hey, maybe this time America will finally get it right. I've been right there with you. <laughs> like, I'm not going to lie. It's like they let us down that's, every time. That's been bro. my thought process because I'm like, well, it's almost like the little boy is like, well, you see this? Like, yeah, this is it. Like, <laughs> I'm telling you, this is it. And it's like, well, oh, that didn't get you. Yeah. You know, you're still asking what they do. Like that matters. Yeah. You know, like, and I think in this situation, the difference to me is that, one, there wasn't a gun. So people couldn't be like, oh, he reached for something. It wasn't anything. You saw. Mm -hmm. There was nothing. And, and to me, that's where I'm still amazed by the responses and the DMs that I get from people still not understanding it. Like, the man was under control. Yeah. And, and then you see, like, the the images going around of, like, you know the 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 people reenacting, oh like goodness. like how like that's Sick. that's what that's what gives me that's what makes me lose hope, <laughs> you know, in humanity. It's like because even in a video that blatant where there's nothing short of murder that takes place, you still have people that think that it's comical enough where they're gonna go out and they're gonna make a joke out of it. Yes. They're gonna have they're gonna take pictures of themselves sitting on the neck of a friend of theirs or something. You know what I mean? Like. That was a human being's life that was just snatched right in front of our eyes. And you can't change everyone, man. And you can't. You see it. Like you some can't. people, you know, hate is a learned behavior, but for some people it's ingrained in them. Yeah. You know, it's for us to educate the masses and try to change things systemically. And I felt hopeless when mm -hmm. I saw that video, um, when I saw his body, when I saw his reaction, when I saw the people not helping him and supporting yeah. the officers yeah. themselves. I mean, that hurt. And I was struggling all the way, really, until the protests in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. Because I was still like, man, this is the same old thing. Yeah. We're going to cry, and then people are going to go on to their lives it's right crazy after we talked. We talked the night before that protest. Yeah. And you had asked me. I could tell. I could just tell by your voice that you were like, it sounded like you were drained or like you were just down. And I didn't even, at that point, I didn't even know if I was going to go yet. You had asked yeah. me about what else is going on uh, in the city, and I had been like, yo, like, I'll let you know once I figure out 
you know, what I'm going to I'm not going to lie. Do. With you not being confident, I for <laughs> sure was like, man, if he isn't going to this, I'm not going to it. Yeah. And, you know, when you shot but then me that's what I got. Back. But then that's what I got the call. And I immediately was inspired because it was like, it was the kids that decided that's that they exactly to what mobilize. gave me my hope, man. You know man. what I mean? Like you told like, me it was organized by the youth. Yeah, the yeah, same teenagers, people, the like, same teenagers that people try to say are the biggest problem in the absolutely, city. Absolutely. Like when I speak about Baltimore, I speak about the potential of Baltimore. I'm talking about those kids. Yeah, I'm talking about the kids that you may walk past, but those kids are the next leaders of this country, of this city, and they're able to accomplish whatever and they, they want. Ready, to, and they're man. right like, there. When I say they fearless and they're passionate and it just like I'm sure you'll understand this we have days especially doing this work where we're just low where our energy is low you know the, the work that we do oftentimes is thankless work you know it's nobody really checking checking for or on us mm -hmm. um you can really like lose you can lose your vigilance you can lose your conviction at times you know and you need reminders of like why we do this for me, like, as soon as me and you got off the phone and I started getting text messages and I got the call and said, like, yo, the, the kids are, are are looking to do this tomorrow. They're going to be mobilizing. You know, they want to keep it peaceful, but they really want voices to get heard and all that. I just was so inspired. And everything in me just said, like, we got to protect these kids at all costs. We got to make sure. Because, like, things were happening around the city, you know, but I wasn't inspired because it's like, all right, the election is tomorrow. You know what I mean? It's, it's two days from the day that we had the protest. So it's like, we're not going to be registering people to vote. Right. It's not a quick enough turnaround to be able to get all the neighborhood resources available for people that we could. Those are usually like my recipes for if I'm going to be involved in some kind of like protest. We have to be like working on action items and we need to be providing needed resources to the people that are attending. But when I found out about the kids and their idea and what that they wanted to do, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm there. Absolutely. And something that was lost in it, there may be a couple of videos if you look online where you saw Maven looking like <laughs> Debo out there trying to keep the peace, but Baltimore doesn't get enough credit for what we witnessed. Right. right. You saw the people from the city protecting the city. Yeah. Making sure that the narrative was And I definitely don't hijacked. want that. That narrative has to stay intact. Nobody was protecting police. You know what I mean? Like nobody was trying to say that people shouldn't protest, that people shouldn't be angry. What we were doing was protecting our city and the narrative that we have the control over. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The girls, the girls that organized the march decided that they wanted to make sure that it remained peaceful for several reasons. For one, if you've got thousands of kids out in the streets and you know, the situation gets bad and there's an incident between police and the people, who do you think is gonna be in harm's way, you know, more than anybody else? Our kids, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, if they come out for a peaceful protest and things go south, guess who's gonna be blamed for why it went south? Our kids, they're always, everybody always wants to talk about them, what, what they're not doing. We wanna talk about, how bad they are and not acknowledge who raised them. We want to talk about, you know, their lack of education and not act like it's our fault that our schools are the way that they are. Mm -hmm. We want to talk about how they spend their free time when we allowed their rec centers to get closed down. Mm. It's like if we're gonna if we're gonna talk to our kids, we have to talk to them. We have to 
to acknowledge them. We can't talk down at them anymore. You know, so uh, my whole thing was, all right, it needs to remain peaceful for our kids' sake. But then also, we have to have learned something in five years. We have to have learned something from the uprising and rebellion in 2015 that went down. We have to learn something from the fact that outsiders were able to come into our, our city and gaslight a lot of different people who were already angry. But instead of actually acting rationally and figuring out how we get our grievances addressed, they just wanted to see things burn. Mm -hmm. Our community leaders decided, we decided that we're not, we're not letting that happen again. This year, we're not going to have a repeat of what's already happened in the past. And you could see that. I mean, it was clear for everyone, anyone that was out there. You could see that it, it was under control. It wasn't mm -hmm. officers, mm -hmm. like I said, protecting the barriers. Right. It was the people of the city. And I loved it until I had to leave to go watch these kids. Man. But, <laughs> Daddy do, but Daddy even do that was calls, awesome. Man. It's like, look, man, like <laughs> we're breaking all kinds of uh, stereotypes and changing narratives here. Like <laughs> people act like black fatherhood isn't really a thing. Like, nah, man, we work in our communities and we go home to make sure that we can raise the babies by a certain Absolutely, time. Man. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. What uh I want to go back to, you know, you brought up the, the protests or the uprising from five years ago. What's the biggest thing, your personal biggest takeaway from that whole time period? Because it wasn't just one day. It wasn't just one mm -hmm. hour. You know, it was a, a fiery time. It was. Um, I take a lot of things from it, but the things that I focus on the most are actually the regrets I take from it. I think that a lot of great things happened during that time, but I think that we missed a huge opportunity to actually follow through to get some of the changes that we spoke about during that time. You know, um, we spent so much time focusing on our pain, which is valid and which is uh, which we do need to which we do deserve to speak about and make sure that people understand. But I think a lot of times we spend so much time focusing on our pain that we never move forward towards focusing on solutions, mm. you know, and we never look at the process of what the follow-up looks like that's actually going to get us those solutions that we're fighting for, you know, um, and I think that um, some of that, to some degree, that really happened in 2015. Like, when I ask a lot of the people that do this work with me, like, what did we walk away with? What legislative policy changes that we walk away with? Yeah, we got a consent decree and we got um, a DOJ investigation. And all, but what did we walk away with? Does our community oversight uh, committee have the ability to fire an officer if they if they uh, abuse their position of power? You know what I mean? Like, is our city any closer to being able to have a system of accountability for those in a power position that take advantage of the disenfranchised and the poor. Like, what did we walk away with? Mm. And I think that the reality that we didn't walk away with much of anything is what has me this time around, or not this time around, because like, I think too many often times, like, people measure progress in terms of like, what happens when your city's a part of a major news cycle? The main work I do gets to get started once the cameras leave Absolutely. and the news cycle stops because everybody else stops caring about the issue. But people like myself, people like the organizers that I work with, people like the policymakers that I negotiate and talk to on a daily basis, 
that's when the actual work gets started. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's great to show up to a march. It's great to scream. It's great to let yourself be heard. But what are we doing in terms of actionable steps towards solutions? And that's what I think we should be focusing on as a group. Yeah. Uh, I think collectively for this movement all across the country. We too busy arguing over blackout hashtags and <laughs> <laughs> the effectiveness of this that's post crazy, or that man. post. Like, yeah, I'm just like, I'm not here for any more of like the bickering and the, like we all have lanes. Everybody's lane isn't gonna be the same. Everybody's version of activism, version of um, action isn't gonna be the same. But we all have a role to play. And I think that we spend too much time squabbling about the validity of your role versus my role. You know, the, um, the, the sustainability of your plans versus my plans. At the end of the day, what does it matter? Find you some people that you can trust, organize, build with them, invest in one another, come up with ideas, actually shoot holes in one another's ideas so we can come up with the most effective plan and strategy and get to work. Man, you know what's something that we can all do, though? Vote. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Vote. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a lot of people that don't believe in using their right to vote. And I tell people all the time, if your right to vote didn't matter, uh, people you know, wouldn't be trying to take it away from you. People also <laughs> wouldn't have died for it. Oh, man. That's a whole nother conversation right there, man. But we got to have it. And like, Shoot. you know, it. Like I get I just get pissed off when people, you know, I get just as pissed off when people say, well, what do we get from voting? than I do when people say, well, what about black on black crime when you're talking about an issue like systemic racism and police brutality? These are not the same conversation. You're using one to deflect from the other. You know what I mean? Like, like, and I think that when it comes to voting, people's biggest problem is they're uneducated about what the civic process entails. People don't even know which politicians they're supposed to be mad at. People are mad at the president for something that their governor is responsible for. People are mad at the, at the mayor for something that the governor or the president or a senator is responsible for. They're mad at the senator for something that a council member is responsible for. We don't even know who's voting on what bills and what the, how that's going to affect us in the spaces in which we live and dwell. We got to do better. We have to be more informed. Too many people out here talking don't do enough reading. Mm. So they willing to argue all day and don't know what the hell they're arguing about, <laughs> or even for half the <laughs> right, time. Right, right, right. I mean, it's so that's crazy. my thing. It's like I'm no longer interested in having conversations that aren't informed dialogues. So before we before we start building on an issue, we need to know that one another is qualified to be talking about said issue. There are certain things where all of us need to be paying attention to. All of us need to be focused on, especially when it comes to our community, when it comes to our schools, when it comes to our neighborhoods and their safety, when it comes to the, uh, the power and the ability of law, to, law enforcement to determine how they should have to deal with and treat us, we need to be paying attention and we need to be much more involved in our civic process than we are because a lot of us are waiting for somebody to come and save us or somebody to, to, to um, introduce some magic piece of legislation that's never going to exist if we don't fight for it, if we don't craft it, if we don't pick our politician that's gonna introduce the bill in the first place, if we don't 
hold all of our policy policy makers accountable as far as all right once this gets introduced if you aren't supporting this you're not acting in the interest of your constituency and next time it comes time for us to vote we're gonna remember we're gonna bully you at the ballot (laughs) and we're gonna remove you Mm. but that just that doesn't sound as sexy as showing up to a protest and throwing a couple bottles and you know feeling like you do something you did something when you got home that night you know so I just want us to start moving smarter, man. I need us to start focusing on solutions and to move from a place of pain and victimization to a place of power and self-identity. So where does one start this journey to educating themselves? Honestly, like everybody is at a different starting point, right? But I'm having a lot more of my friends, which I think is a good thing, reach out to me um, recently talking about like, how do I understand some of these like complex conversations? Like a good friend of mine called me like three days ago and it was one of the most beautiful conversations I've had in some time because he called me completely humble and vulnerable and said, bro, I want to really understand systemic racism. I want to understand patriarchy. I want to understand like our history in this country and how it affects like my life today, how it affects my kids, all of that. But a lot of times when I listen to you and other people talk about it, I can't keep up with the conversation. I don't know all of the, yeah, I don't know all of the words. I don't understand what certain things mean. I'm not aware of certain things that happened in history, so it's hard for me to keep up. He's like, is there a book or something like that that you can give me that I can at least start reading and start to understand this stuff? And it was so dope because I'm like, man, how many of us are too proud to do this? You know what I mean? Like, like we can't know what we don't know until we admit it. And then we're willing to ask for somebody who does to educate us, right? Mm -hmm. But so many of us are going around uninformed and too prideful to admit it, but still ready to be the first one to say something in the argument, even if you don't know what you're talking about. The first one to want to have an opinion when it's not an informed opinion. So we start off immediately. I recommend like three or four books for him. I'm like, got to start with Stamp from the Beginning by Ibram X. Kendi. Like that's a must read because it's a definitive history of racist ideas in America. And every piece of law, every, every law, every piece of public policy, every institution or system that has been created um, and built on the oppression of black people stemmed from an idea. So this book breaks all those ideas down completely. And if you're if you're from Baltimore, you got to read Not My Neighborhood and Ghost of Johns Hopkins because it just it it takes you through so many historical situations that show you exactly why our city is the way it is right now. Why our neighborhoods look the way they are. Why our crime rate in certain areas is what it is. Why our schools are the way they are. And then after that, I gave him uh, The Color of Law because it talks specifically about how the laws have been used to maintain all of these systems that we now look at as part of our oppression. You know, so with all of those things, I can give him like a synopsis of what the books are about, but he's got to do the heavy lifting himself now. He's got to read them. He's got to take the notes. He's got to formulate opinions on how he feels about these things. But the next time we talk about it, 
I'm not educating him as much anymore as it is we're having an informed conversation based on facts because you have you're now qualified to have the conversation because you've done your research you know the history and I think that's huge right there um not just for African Americans but also white folks as well absolutely um I think if you understand certain things uh, then you wouldn't question yeah. some of the issues and challenges that people have like we act we actually turned it into like a Facebook um uh, book club and obviously, like me being former NFL player, like going to Penn State and things like that, we got a lot of white people that are part of the book club right now. And I think that it's awesome because it's, it's like, if you really want to be an ally, then yeah, you got heavy lifting to do too. You know what I mean? Like, because most, most of what we need white allies for is not on the front lines. We need them in their houses or in their communities, their checking people that they know are saying and doing racist things. You know what I mean? Like calling out implicit bias when they see it. All of these things. But if they're not educated on certain things, then they're not qualified to have the conversation either. So we need our white allies to do more reading and research. You know, something you hit on just reminded me of something that Ronnie Stanley, the tackle for the Ravens, has been tweeting a lot. And I heard him actually speak on it. Uh, the importance of white people checking their friends. Mm-hmm. Checking their family when it whether it's stereotype or any type of form of bias that you see because that's what leads to racism. Like mm-hmm. it's an issue. Like you can people think, oh, I'm not racist because I have black friends. I have a black friend, or <laughs> or you know, I may not say the n word. Yeah. Well, you're hanging around people and you allow that. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not saying you're necessarily racist. But you it's are, like if you your friend, a, you aren't anti-racist. If you don't either. use if you don't use the N word, but your friend does, what does that say about how your friend perceives you? That they think that that's going to be all right in your presence. It's like oh. I'm safe. Right. I'm safe being this bigoted person around you. That's actually an insult from your friend because they think that you share those same beliefs. Mm. That's real, man. And <laughs> like, <laughs> that's what's kind of hard to get some people to understand because, you know, I've been. We've been speaking out about these issues for, man. How long? Now? Man, uh, a lifetime? Shoot. Yeah, man. Like, <laughs> you know, how so long? Now that you have the opportunity now, you know, I've received a lot of messages. And I try to be nice. Um, you Do know, you, when, yo? when I get most of the you messages. <laughs> you know, but I know, since, I know some, you pretty well, yo. You're a pretty direct guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm trying to do better. But some, but some people, you know, they're honestly asking, like, man, how can I help? And how can I be supportive? And it's a big, and not that it's. Why a, do people act like that's so hard though? Why do people act like helping is so hard if they really want to do it so bad? Like, what are you, like, what do you do? What are your resources? Whatever that resource is, share it. You know what I mean? If you're a photographer, right? And you want to help, then either go out and shoot, you know, black people or go out and show a kid how to shoot. You know what I mean? Give him an opportunity to tell his story through your lens. You know, if you're um, a business owner, why don't you teach a kid that 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 doesn't look like you to become a business owner themselves? Why don't you show them the steps that you took in order to acquire a business in his neighborhood? You know what I mean? Like, because maybe he can do that and serve his people in a different way. You know what I mean? If you have money. Find an organization that's doing some great work that you feel like needs to be done. Give that money to them and get the hell out of their way. You know what I mean? Like, like 
we act like it's hard to help. Like people want to make it so difficult when like all you got to do is share your resources, you know, check your friends on their privilege. You know, if you have an opportunity that you can present um, to somebody that needs it, do it. Not because you're looking for a pat on the back, but because it's the right thing to do. Because this piece, this person could use the help. I think what you said is spot on. You know, it doesn't take a. You don't have to put on a cape. Yeah, like to, to do the yeah, right like thing. This is and rocket treat, science. And treat people <laughs> fairly, you know, because everyone's role is different. Yeah, you know, everyone doesn't have to be. You know, Malcolm X of the white of the white people. You know, yeah. What I mean? Everybody like, just, doesn't need like we were talking about this earlier. Everybody not supposed to be at the protest. No. There's some people where you never need to pick up a mic ever. You just, you're not qualified to speak. But like, there are other things that you can do though. What do you think about the businesses and corporations and companies and even people that are speaking out right now? And because I feel like it's a time right now where it's almost like people are drawing a line in the sand like, hey, I'm not racist. I don't stand for this. This is wrong. And then there's others who are having more like blanket kind of corporate answers. Better what, is your, never, what is your I opinion like, been like about all these comments and statements that are, you know, we're seeing really each and every day? I feel like it's better late than never, but like lip service doesn't really do much for me. I want to see like what you're doing. Like what's like, if you're a corporate, if you're a multi-billion dollar corporation, like what's your plan, you know? There aren't too many multi-billion billion dollar corporations that aren't propped up by black people. You know what I mean? Like even the most oppressive of organizations like we're like their biggest like consumers. Mm-hmm. So like what's your black agenda? Like the same thing I feel like we need to be asking all politicians like we prop you up either economically, socially or however else we contribute to your brand or your um uh, your ROI so like where's our ROI you know what I mean if we're if we're propping you up then where's our ROI you know what I mean like if we're consumers of yours then wh- how do you prioritize us in your marketing how do you prioritize us in your charity endeavors how do you prioritize us in how you treat us when we come into your establishment if we don't have good answers to those questions, then why are we propping you up? And I think that's real. And I think that's where we are you yeah. know, when it comes to politics right now. Um, people are for sure making some hard decisions and they're looking at candidates differently, not just because that's been the way of the past. You know, the people are having a different kind of mindset and viewpoint from their learned experiences because, like you said, it hasn't been any plan. It's just been like, all right, like we're what's best for you. Mm-hmm. And or excuse me, I'm what's best for you, and you kind of just roll with it. But I think the time, the but time that's why I feel like we bit. need like we need a third party, yo. <laughs> like the Green Party kind of blew it, but like you know, like, I really want to see black people have like their own political party. I swear to God, like I'm not joking. Like I really, that's something I really want to see one day, because it's like neither party has ever been for us, yo. I'd like to see the day where we we're don't num- have to worry about that. Yeah, like, but we're numbers to them. And it's like, we act like we don't want people pandering to us, but that's exactly what we want. You know what I mean? Like, we want them pandering. Like, the Democratic Party knows we don't have a better option. Right. So when we talk about we want them to, you know, have a black agenda, we want them to have this, we want, 
why would they have that when they know there's nothing better out there for us? You know what I mean? Like it's like, are you gonna be in an abusive relationship with like <laughs> I guess it depends the on the one you, that the one that kicks your ass or the one people. that just like emotionally like wears you down over time. Like right. it's like they're both neither one of them are good for us. You know, but like I and I think that the only way that you'll actually see any of them start to prioritize us and understand what we've done for them over the years is if there was ever a real a real alternative for us. Yeah, but I think along those lines, I mean, I feel like people do exist, but they never get voted in. Right. Because they appear that you're they're not a too, part you're not a part of a machine. But that's right. like what is Their interesting about Trump though. Like it's like has Trump broken that mold or is he just like an outlier that like because we had a black president before him like you know it creates the space where somebody like him to c- can come in cuz he's He's not a he's not a traditional he's not a Republican. You know what I mean? He's not a traditional candidate, but like his base like feels like he's authentic. I mean, like, I think he is authentic. He really like I think that he's a he chameleon. shows you who he I is. I think that he becomes <laughs> I think he becomes who he feels like he, he like he needs to be in any space, if that makes any sense. Like like, Man, forget Trump. Let's move this next. Let's yeah, move to the next, yeah, yeah, yeah. Move to the next definitely, subject because he gets on my nerves. <laughs> after, especially after his latest, the Luton look, gets his look, shooting. Look, look, We don't even got to talk about All that. Right, man, man. Like, he like, get on my nerves, man. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I think it's something that uh, it's been interesting to watch, you know, people in their statements. And some people it's almost been damned if you do, damned if you don't. But I know I for sure appreciate the effort <laughs> by people right. to finally acknowledge things and call out racism. Uh, even more than that, calling out systemic racism. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's talk about Drew Brees. Man, okay. Just because we can, I talk, was about, just, we can just, talk about like, it. I don't want to dog him out because you know. I mean, that's already. We're, we're, I feel like Malcolm. I feel like Malcolm Jenkins said everything that everything needs, that needs to, to be said, said yeah, so to I, him. Right. So but I don't, like, we can address. Yeah, yeah we don't we need. To, we don't it. need to crush him. Yeah, we don't need to crush him because hopefully he learned something. You know, yeah, like I, I want to call did, Drew man. right now. Like, okay, what did we learn? Like, like, like you gotta reflect I, I on a day. So, like, man, but I hope people understand why people were hurt by his comments. And I, was, I don't think they do. I, I don't. I think, think most people like looked at the response to Drew Brees' comments and was like, "Well, what do you people want? You said you wanted allies, but <laughs> but it's like it's they don't like understand the timing, that it's like the- what you decided to say and how you chose." to not address what our real pain is, it's kind of like Drew made it about himself. Like, it's like, I get that you guys are doing this for a valid reason, but this is how I feel about how you guys choose. But he didn't even say that. I think if he would have said, you know, I understand why they're protesting, but that isn't my form of protest. Right, right. You know, like you have to acknowledge why the protests have you can't just say oh no i would i wouldn't kneel or i don't agree with it mm-hmm. i mean you can say that because everyone's in- but that was his cleaned up statement yeah. though when he made the cleaned up version yeah, yeah, of yeah his, his basically yeah. said that but everyone's entitled to their opinion right uh-huh. I, I respect it but i like to tell people who are like well what do you think about it just he doesn't think the same way you do well even when we use that soldier argument over the flag which has <laughs> never been about i'd like to go back to the world wars yeah. when there were black soldiers Fighting in this war, serving this A lot country. of our grandparents were Real those soldiers. Real heroes. My grandfather was one of them. Mm-hmm. Real heroes. 
came that back, left, didn't have access to the GI here. Bill, didn't have access to affordable housing, didn't have any celebration for them. You know, where was the parade for our grandfathers? They Couldn't came home the and got called restaurant. niggas. Forget that. You know what I mean? Like, like so, like, and I think to go deeper, when you think about because people love throwing that military stuff out there, right? That's like their go-to, like, I was in the military or my family served in the military, this, that, and the third. We're fighting for uh, your freedom. Okay, if you're fighting for my freedom, then don't try to tell me how, you know what I mean? Like, First like, Amendment, right? Exactly. <laughs> So you're truthfully, you're actually fighting for my ability to say to to say and do what you're telling me not to say and do. But I was listening to an interview. I can't remember the brother's name, but I know it was a, it was on a Joe Rogan interview, and it was a former soldier on there that was talking about um, his experience overseas during the um, the war in Iraq, and he talked about a shift in energy as our diplomacy. Um, and our interactions with the country like I um, started to change. He said, when we first got there, we knew we were in hostile territory. Um, we knew that uh, people that people there wanted to kill us, and we came in militarized and ready to 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 enter into combat, pretty much wherever we were. So when they kicked in the door, they were ready to kick in the door and kill everybody that was inside. You know, they were ready to to come in guns blazing. They were ready to come in um, with a certain type of energy. But as time went on and the U.S.'s role in that started to evolve a little bit, they had to do something that was kind of crazy when you think of it, when you think about it. But they had to put their soldiers in harm's way, right? By coming into spaces not to be the bully, but to be the servants, the people that wanted to help. So where they would come in guns blazing before, now I gotta come in and assess the situation and try to see how I can assist. That doesn't change the fact that some of these people still wanna kill you. Mm -hmm. So you're actually putting more soldiers in harm's way when you go from being uh, the bully to the helper, you know what I mean? But each soldier understood that responsibility and changed the way that they operated to go along with what uh, America needed from them, that, uh, from them at the time. I think about how, then he said he thought about how like the police have like that creed of no officer dies. Like regardless of anything, we're gonna protect our lives and our careers and everything else before anything. It's like, it never should be that. It should be, no, even if it puts us in harm's way, it's our job to protect the people. It's our job to protect their humanity. It's our job to make sure that we're defending them and not actively becoming a part of what terrorizes them. You know what I mean? Like, like that really, it got me because it made me think of all the, the, the officers that just used that justification of I was scared or we were in a life and death situation. My father worked for the Baltimore City Fire Department for his entire life until I retired him. I never used to hear him come home and complain about putting his life on the line. And if we really want to get it, uh, keep it funky, firefighters is a, being a firefighter is a much more dangerous profession than being a police officer. Way more firefighters die in the line of duty than police officers do. But we're, com we're comfortable with them being in those life or death situations 
knowing that they're never going to take anybody's life and blame the fear of the situation that they were in. Mm -hmm. Why do police get that pass? Why are we comfortable doing that for them? You know what I mean? What makes their sacrifice so much greater than our firefighters? You know, what makes their uh, sacrifice any greater than our first responders? I think that, and that's not coming down, like that's not me uh, saying that we, that police aren't a valuable profession, but we got to put it in its proper context. If our soldiers have to carry themselves a certain way, you know what I mean? If our firefighters have to put themselves in a line of fire, then who are you to think that just because you're in a dangerous profession that you could sacrifice the humanity of those that you're supposed to be protecting and serving? Man, it's simple. To whom much is given, much is required. Exactly. And they should Nobody be made you be a cop. Standard. Absolutely. Like, yo, like, <laughs> if you really are so terrified, find another profession, yo. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, my kids shouldn't have to be in danger. You know what I mean? Because you got some kind of complex where whenever you see a kid with black skin, you feel like you're in the threat. Uh, you feel like you're threatened. Right. And that's a, it's a tough spot to be in, but that's reality. And I hope, you know, through the conversations and the things that are happening now, uh, people realize that it's not a myth. You know, mm. people have been telling you this for years. This is how it is. And it's unfortunate that another individual had to lose his life for it's it. tragic, wake, man. For it to wake like, people up. But, I mean, I, I hope we don't let this moment pass and not grow as a country, um, grow as people um, to be better. Because I feel like now, you know, I'm more motivated than ever to go out and, and help others. And I know for sure you are. Absolutely. Um, and, and the solutions are there. I know our commitment to Baltimore City is is, is a special one. Um, and again, there's no one that's more committed than you are, in my opinion, for real. I I'm telling you, man, bro, going man. And, and moving back and doing what you do. Because you're not just committed to the city from an activism standpoint. Like You're an educator. Mm -hmm. If there's ever been a time in this nation's rich history <laughs> that anyone realized that educators and teachers are important, it's right yeah. now. Because I promise Bro. you, these kids in this house, whew, I, I'm telling you, Thank man, God for Chanel. Man. Every single time I run into my kids or their parents now, like they give me more thanks and praise than ever because it's almost <laughs> like, like, even though they're their kids, it's almost like they didn't realize what teachers were dealing with. It's almost like if a teacher calls you on your job and you say, man, like, little Timmy acting up today, man, like trying to control him, trying to, you know, trying to do this with him, trying to do that with him. It's like, for, oh, for most parents, sometimes it's like, all right, why are they still calling me? What? They know why we used to call now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely full. Now you have to teach them. It's not just yeah, summertime yeah. where it's like, all right, you're just your and play it's, time. And like, it's serious. like, man, like, not every educator I know, not every not not every teacher is a great teacher, but those of us that are in it for the right reasons, man, like we really miss our kids, man. Like we don't just like like miss te like I, I miss hugging my kids every day when we come into the building. Like I miss having conversations with those that didn't feel like they could talk to other people. I worry about now that we're not in a space every single day, who is that person that they're confiding in? You know, who do they feel safe around? We're doing class online and every kid in the school doesn't have access to internet or have a device that they can use. 
Um, we got kids where it's hard to keep up with because they move around so much. And when you're not seeing them on an everyday basis, how do you really keep up with where they're at and how they're doing and what they need? Um, it's a hard time to be an educator right now, man. Like, I'm not even going to lie. Like, we're, we're in this point where we don't know what school is going to look like going forward. Like, society is going to look different. So, you know, what does it look like, you know, to educate, you know, kids in a safe way when you already had 30 or 40 kids in a classroom that was supposed to only have 20 to begin with? Mm. But we're supposed to be socially distant in that kind of environment? It's not possible. You know what I mean? Like, what does what do these new CDC recommendations look like being implemented in Baltimore City where we know it's not feasible? You know, um, again, man, we just have to be vigilant. I don't have all the answers. Um, I think that, but I think that we need to be asking certain questions and getting as many informed people at the table as possible to get the best ideas um, for for what those answers look like. Because innovation is how we're gonna make it through this thing. Nothing that we've done before is gonna work. And that's on the activism front, that's on the education front, that's on a, a political uh, front. You know, doing the same thing the same way and expecting different uh, results is Einstein's definition of insanity. insanity. So like how are we how are we challenging ourselves in every way possible to be the innovators, to be the problem solvers, to be the fixers, not waiting for somebody else to come in and do it for us, but understanding the intrinsic power that we as a people have, that us as a city have, the ingenuity that we have, you know, um we got to mobilize all of that stuff, man, and we got to be on the same page. I can't stress that enough. Mm. Like we, if ever there was a time where we as a people needed to be on the same page to make it through, I think that time is right now. For sure, man, and it's a process. Mm -hmm. You know, Rome wasn't built in one night, and you know, I think now <clears throat> that we have everyone's ear, uh, most folks' hearts. You know, I said most because it's not yeah, everyone. It's not everyone. Most folks' hearts. Not you know, it's the right time for um, us to get this country to do the right thing. And it sounds like I need to have you back on the show one day <laughs> to talk about teachers and educators and how yeah. they have the role of being the parent, yeah, the financial provider for some of these kids, mm -hmm. the counselor, yeah, you know, the mentor, and so much more. So, and we don't know, like, like I just as we're starting to bring things to a close, I'll leave you with this too. Between this year and next year, a lot of places in the country are gonna see their, um, their dropout rates absolutely skyrocket. What are we gonna be doing to establish safety nets for those kids? Because a lot of them, it's not their fault. Right. There's a lot of kids that are in houses right now with parents that don't know how to walk them through their online classes, parents that are struggling trying to find jobs or people that are struggling with addiction, mental health issues, like all, we're at a time right now where we're literally at, a, at, at the intersection of a global pandemic and a genocide of our own people to a point that people are literally sacrificing their lives you know what I mean? Like some people that are gone out here that have been protesting over these past couple of weeks are gonna get really sick in the next week or two. Mm -hmm. People are literally putting their lives on the line to protest, the putting their lives the on the line by being black. Here. Like, 
It's crazy, man. You know what I mean? Like, but anytime that you got the whole country for the past few months has been afraid to leave their homes for anything that isn't absolutely essential, yet thousands of people feel like it's necessary to put themselves at risk to let their voices be heard on an issue that has plagued our generation, our parents' generation, our parents' parents' generation, our parents' 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 generation. And then we were in slavery. Like, slavery was three people ago, bro. <laughs> like, like, let's be very clear. Like, and with the sinister way that they went about setting it up, it was done in a way where it would take us hundreds of years to be able to overcome the psychological dismantling of slavery in addition to the physical and the breaking up of families, the robbing people of language, religion, context, culture, all of those things. So it's like we're playing catch up on so many fronts, you know, and again, we cannot afford not to all be on the same page. We cannot afford to be fighting with one another, acting like we don't know who the common enemy is. We can't afford not to be arming ourselves with the knowledge and resources and tools that are going to help us get out of this predicament that we're in. You know, um, now more than ever, we got to be unified. And I'm looking forward to helping to lead the charge, man. And absolutely, so make sure we do our part. I appreciate you pulling up on the show, man. And I appreciate your time you, man. because I know you could be out here saving lives, but you decided <laughs> to spend some time with your boy. So I appreciate that, bro. Hey, man, we need the break every now and again, man. It's been good being able to come on and spend some time chopping it up with you, bro. <laughs> All right, man. Appreciate you. Absolutely. <laughs>